We're going to be looking this morning at Matthew chapter 28. And just wanted to uh, begin at the beginning of the first of the year. Uh, I thought it'd be good to just kind of go back and remind ourselves of some kind of basic things. Last week, we, we talked about pursuing biblical change and what that looks like out of uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Great Commission today. We're going to be looking at uh, knowing, living, and sharing the faith, which is really the picture of mature Christianity. Uh, and uh, next week from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And then we're going to spend a little time talking about the two commands, the two ordinances or sacraments, if you prefer, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're going to devote a week to each one of those. And of course, the week we talk about the Lord's Supper, we're actually going to do it as well. So, uh, so looking forward to that. Just reminding ourselves of some basics as we begin the new year. And so from Matthew 28, this is a passage that we all know as the Great Commission. And let's go ahead and read together from the board. Uh, most of us probably know this by heart, but let's go ahead and read it together aloud. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You know, one of my, when I was a youth pastor, one of my favorite games to do, we would do this kind of often because, you know, everybody's talking about purpose today and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I would always do this game where I would make them find some, just some very common everyday objects, you know, like a broom, a dustpan, a mop, a hammer, a paper, a book, you know, and stuff like that. And I, and I would put them in a group and the group's assignment was is they had to come up with an infomercial to advertise this new product that they had. The only rule was is that the object that they were advertising could not actually be used for what it was made for. And so they came up with all kinds of stuff. And it was just, it was just my favorite thing to watch, just some of the random things that they would come up with. Like, like for example, uh, one group used the mop as a wig you know, uh, one group used the broom as transportation. You knew that was coming up with the Harry Potter craze and all that. Uh, one of my favorite one was the group that tried to use a hammer as a crutch for the blind. That did not go over very well. <laughs> and so, uh, but one of the point, but the point of the game was that it, all of those things were made for a particular purpose. And even though you would try to use them for other things, the truth is, is that the further away they got from the purpose for which they were created, the, the less useful they really were. A mop is really not useful as a wig and a hammer, as, as some of those kids unfortunately found out, a hammer is definitely not useful as a crutch. And so when you use them for other things, they lose their effectiveness. They're, they're really unusable for those things. And everything on earth, beloved, is made for a purpose. And their design, the way they are structured, the way that they are, are shaped, all of those things are tailor-made to serve the purpose for which they were made. 
right? I mean, everything is like this. Uh, we've all heard the, the old joke about the, about the computer tech support that got the call from the lady who, who said that the cup holder on her computer had broken and she was wondering how to fix it. She was talking about the old CD-ROM caddy that, you know, it wasn't made, it wasn't made to hold up a cup. It was made to put a CD in, right? And so, so needless to say, that became useless the more she tried to use it for something other than its purpose. And the same is true with the church, that people tried to use the church for all of these different things, different ideas, different purposes. And the more the church tries to drift in that direction, the more the church tries to get away from our primary purpose and goes to try to do other things, the more useless we're gonna become for the kingdom. Now, pay very careful attention to how I worded that. Doesn't mean we won't grow. Doesn't mean people won't be attracted. It doesn't mean that people won't think highly of the church. But the more we get away from our primary goal, our primary purpose, the more useless as a church we become for the kingdom. And so this morning, I, I want to encourage you to understand your role and to be involved in the purpose of the church, the mission of the church, not just Calvary, but the mission of the church universal. And as we read this text, you know this text well. We have talked about this text. You probably refer to it a lot. And it is known as the Great Commission. And that is because it is the marching orders of Christ. It is the final verses of the Gospel of Matthew. So we will be coming to this again and sometime in the future as we tread our way through the Gospel of Matthew. But this is the end. This is the goal. This is what everything in Matthew is working toward. And he says simply this, that as we have looked in the Gospel of Matthew and we saw that the entire Gospel is written as a discipleship manual, that, that Matthew designed this Gospel in order to teach us how to be a disciple, the marching order or everything that we are doing, the purpose that we have in why we are left here in the world is to make disciples, is to make Disciples. Now, again, pay very close attention to how that is worded. It isn't to garner decisions. It isn't to collect numbers. It isn't to build the role. It, e it even isn't, and, and I say this, please don't hear what I'm not saying, but I do wanna say this, it, it is not simply to break last year's records and baptisms. We gotta be very careful with that. We can create a lot of false disciples doing that. The goal is to make disciples. The goal is to make disciples. That is the mission. And how are we to do this? Jesus gives us three instructions out of this command. Three instructions of his commission that are the marching orders for the church. And I just wanna remind us of this this morning and maybe even give us some practical how-tos on how to do it. And so three instructions for his commission. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, in verse, uh, in verse 19 in chapter 28, here's what he says. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I wanna stop right there and I wanna look at that word go. 
He says, go therefore and make disciples. Now, I, I, I've heard some guys preach it this way before. And maybe you have heard a sermon like this. In fact, I've even heard this explained this way. Because if you look at the English translation, it looks like there are four different commands in the English version. First command is go. Second command is make disciples. Third command is baptize them. Fourth command is teaching them. That's what it looks like in English, okay? In fact, I have even heard somebody explain it this way before that there are four ways that we partake in the Great Commission. Some are commanded to go. Those are their medical missions and stuff like that. Some are commanded to make disciples. That's your Billy Grahams and your Dwight Moody's and, and all of those guys, your revivalists and your evangelists and, and all those kind of guys. Some are called to make disciples. Those are, or excuse me, those are called, some are called to baptize. Those are your churches, your pastors and all of that. And then some are called to teach. Those are your seminaries and those who are creating the next generation of leaders. Beloved, that is so far away from what this text is saying that it's not even funny. It's not even funny. There is actually only one command in this text and that is this, make disciples. That's the command. And every, all of these other words are implications. All of these other words are ways in which we are to do that. We are to make disciples. How? Number one, by making disciples intentionally. Intentionally. You see, this word go is not actually a verb. It is actually a participle. Now, now, dust off your grammar hats for a second there and remember what a participle is. It's a, it's a word that kind of describes something else with another verb, Right? And so he says here, make disciples is the only imperative. And the first word is that we are to go in order to do that. Now, maybe you have heard this preached before. And I think, and I know I've mentioned this before, so I know you've at least heard it. But some guys will say that it's better translated as you are going or as you go. That is not correct, okay? It is the correct translation, go and make disciples, right? And so... The, the point here is what he is doing is that it is part of the command, but the primary command, the primary thing that he's calling us to do is to make disciples, but we have to go in order to do that, okay? So think about it this way. Let's say that I asked uh, Wesley this morning, Wesley, would you go to the kitchen and get a bottle of water for me? And so he goes and he mops the floor, washes the dishes, does some other things, and then he comes back, no bottled water. Now, did he follow the command? No, he went, right? He went, but going to the kitchen was not the primary object. Going to the kitchen was simply what he had to do in order to follow the, follow the request, which was to get a bottled water, right? And that's the same thing that Jesus is doing here. He's saying, go and make disciples. In other words, what would I be asking Wesley to do? I would be asking him to interrupt what he's doing, stop what he's doing, and intentionally leave to go to the kitchen and get a bottled water. 
And in the same way, what Jesus is doing here is he's telling us that we must be intentional. We must stop living for what we are living for. Stop living for the dreams that we have concocted. Stop living for these things. And instead, our lives are interrupted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the idea. It, the, it's intentional. It is intentionality that Jesus is telling the church to be intentional about making disciples. Beloved, disciples are not born. They are made. And the truth is, is that every church has disciples. Every one of them. Every church has disciples. Every parent disciples. Every teacher disciples. The question is not whether we are discipling our people. We are. The question is whether we are discipling them to be like Christ or by something else. That's the question. Uh, I got into this conversation one time with uh, about small groups. I was introducing the concept of small groups to a church, and uh, one, of the, one of the people came up to me afterwards and said, Brother Randy, we have never had small groups, and we never will. And I said, I challenge you, you have small groups right now. They said, what do you mean? I said, pay attention to your potlucks. And what you will notice is that the same groups of people tend to sit together every single time, don't they? Most of the time. There's always one in the crowd. <laughs> so um, every single time, most of the time, the same groups will always sit together. Beloved, you have small groups. The question is not whether you have small groups. The question is whether or not you're using them intentionally to shepherd them into Christ's likeness. That's the question. And so we must be intentional. We must be intentional. The same thing goes for evangelism, that we must be intentional. You know, when I was, when I was in youth group and then in college, we would go on all these mission trips. We went to, we went to Kansas City. We went to Waters, Mexico. We went to, before they were overran by, by drugs and all. But we, we went to Waters, Mexico. We went to all these other places. And one of the things I always noticed is that it was so much easier to share my faith with people on those short-term mission trips. Have you ever... Have you ever seen that before, how much easier it is? And I've, and I've always wondered why that is. Why is that? And, you know, and the standard answer is always this, because we don't know those people. Well, there were plenty of people in Pine Bluff, Arkansas that I didn't know. I mean, I do think that kind of plays into it, but I don't think that's the real reason. You know what I think the real reason is? It's because in getting ready for that mission trip, we went through evangelism training. We talked about for months the plans and what we were gonna do. When we went on the mission trip, we woke up every morning with the intention that today I am waking up and I'm going to share the gospel with someone. I think what makes it easier on short-term mission trips is how intentional we are when we go on those trips. And yet, let me ask you a question. I'm not saying this to shame anyone because... I mean, truth is, I didn't either. How many of us woke up this week, even a single day, with the intention of sharing the gospel with someone that day? How many of us? You see, it's not that we don't know them. It's not any of those other things. It is the intentionality of it. 
And Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. He's telling us to be intentional. Church, let's wake up every morning this week and be intentional about sharing our faith with someone. Just think about this for a moment. What if we've got about maybe 65, 70 people in here? So let's just, let's just round down to 60, okay? Because that's the math I did. So let, let's just say that we have 60 of us this year who says that one person a month, I'm going to share my faith with one person per month. If 60 of us decided to do that, do you know how many people would hear the gospel in Independence County by the end of this year? 720. 720. If, if we all decided just to share our faith with one person per month this year, 720 people will hear the gospel in our community. I think that's a goal worth reaching, amen? I think that's a goal. You say, you say well, what if it's less? Okay, so what if it's less? That's still more than what we did last year, amen? Amen. And so let's endeavor to do that. Let's endeavor to do that. Listen, I cannot, I cannot personally minister, I cannot personally reach or share my faith with 720 people this year. I can't do that, and neither can you. But we can. And we can actually do it fairly easily. I'm gonna say more about that here in just a moment, but let's endeavor to do that. We're not just talking about, about sharing the gospel, but being intentional about it being intentional, wake up every day intending that I'm going to share the gospel with someone. Now we're talking about sharing the gospel and of course that's the most basic, but the command is to make disciples. The command is to make disciples and how are we to do that? We're to do that biblically. We're to do that biblically. Look what he goes on to say. In verse 19 he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, watch this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, some people share the gospel with someone, and, and when they pray a prayer, or raise a hand, or fill out a card, or walk an aisle, or they consider their job done. They consider that they are faithful to the command when they've done this, but I want you to notice something. That is not the full command. That is not the full command. Now, now before I go on, don't misunderstand me. If that's all you have time to do, then by all means do it. Jesus, at different occasions, whenever a man came up and said, I will follow you wherever you go, what did Jesus say? On some occasions, he said, no. But go back to your town and tell what the gospel has done in your life. So even Jesus at times led people to himself but did not allow them to follow him further, okay? And so in those instances, we trust that the Lord will lead them to a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church and that they will go on in their, in their growth in the Lord. We trust the Lord for that. But in normal circumstances, what, what should be the norm is that we are following the command to make disciples, and the way we do that is by these two further instructions, by, by baptizing them and teaching them. So what does this mean? What, the question is, how do we identify disciples? How do we identify? I, 
I know I've talked about this a lot and I've kind of put a new emphasis on this. A lot of that has to do with a seminar I took last semester. Uh, talked to the deacons about it and, and uh, actually here in a couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about it in this format. But, so I'm not gonna say a whole lot here. But I'm gonna say that the average person today when you say, how do you identify someone who becomes a Christian? They're gonna say things like this. They're gonna say, by walking an aisle, praying a prayer, raising a hand, filling out a card. And I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily bad with any of those things. I, I do a lot of them myself. We have an invitation every week. I have no plans of stopping that, okay? There's nothing inherently wrong with those things except none of them are what Jesus said to do. Jesus said to baptize. And how do we identify believers? We do so by baptism. It is in our baptism that we confess our faith. And we're gonna say more about that still. But none of them is what Jesus said to do. Jesus said to be Baptized. Baptism is our confession of faith, and it is our entry point into the Christian life. But it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Jesus said to baptize them, and I really want to say more about that because you have the name, the God is one, but you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is three persons. You have a Trinitarian formula there, but I'm, I'm going to resist that. I'm not going to get into that this morning as much as I want to, but I'm not going to. So, but where was I even going with that? So, yes, that is the entry point into our Christian life, but it is not the end point. It is the beginning. And Jesus says we are to baptize them and we are to teach them to keep all that Christ has commanded us. Beloved, the church's job is not merely to work toward conversions. Not merely to work toward conversions, but to teach. A true convert is a disciple. A true convert is a disciple. And like infants, they will crave the pure milk of the word and as time goes on, they will mature into the meat of the word. We're, we're not just talking about teaching so that they will know either, but look what he says, teaching them in order that they will observe all things that Christ has commanded us. We're to teach converts how to live the life of a Christian, studying, understanding, and obeying the whole counsel of God is the lifelong task of a disciple. And you don't ever graduate from that class. Well, you do when you're glorified in heaven. So, okay, there's that. But in this life, you never graduate from that. It is a lifelong task of the disciple and it is a lifelong calling of the church that we are to make disciples by baptizing and by teaching them. And you know, it is amazing to me how many churches do not regard this as their responsibility. It amazes me. One pastor I knew years ago flat out told me that I will never preach a doctrine in a sermon again. I will never teach doctrinal sermons again. I'm, I'm going away from that because that's not what the people need. 
That's what he said. Another friend, I was talking to him. He was from one of the more kind of fundamentalist, kind of independent backgrounds. And, and I was talking to him one time and I, I was telling him kind of what I, what I preached on Sunday morning. He says, well, you must have known that there were no lost people in your church because why are you teaching that? He said that you're gonna be talking about sanctification. Jesus is gonna come back. People are gonna go to hell. That's what he said. He said, it's not your job to teach on Sunday morning. You need to preach the gospel. You know, the sad thing about it is, though, is that both of those guys are teaching doctrine every Sunday. They're just not teaching God's doctrine. Never forget, every pastor teaches something. Teaches something. They're either gonna teach pop psychology, they're gonna teach cultural Christianity, they're gonna teach all kinds of other things. If they're not teaching the scripture, they don't stop teaching. They're just teaching something else. They're just teaching something else. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul says, but in, and he's writing to Timothy, telling him how he is to conduct the local church, how he is to conduct uh, things while Paul is away. He says, in case I am delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Watch this, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Beloved, the function of the church is that we are the pillar and we are the support of the truth. If you are not taught in the scriptures here, then where in the world are you gonna go to get it? You say, well, I can turn on the radio. Yes, you can, but who's, who's overseeing what's being taught on that radio? You know, understand that here, I have men who pay attention to my sermons. And if I ever get out of line, trust me, they're gonna say so. I have accountability for what I teach you. I have accountability for what I say. Not so much for how long I go, but you know, they're trying, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> they're trying their hardest to, to cut that down. But so, uh, so don't give them a bad rap there. That's my fault. But I have accountability. You know that there are men here that you trust, that you have known your entire life that if I say something too out of line, I'm gonna be held accountable, amen? Amen? Who's holding that radio accountable? I'm sure someone is, but you don't know them. Who's holding that TV station accountable? I'm sure someone is, but you don't know them. And so there's a safety in the local church. There's a, there's a safety that should be here. And beloved, if you don't get it here, then where in the world are you gonna get it? Where are you gonna get it? The church is to be the pillar and support of truth. Jesus said, sanctify them, John 17, 17, praying to the Lord, to his Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Beloved, the teaching of the word is what sanctifies us. It's what cleanses us. It's what gives us confidence. It's what gives us the admonition of the Lord that we need. The word of God washes us. We're brought into cleansing and conformity through the teaching of the word. And not only this, but in evangelism, but in evangelism, we cannot lose sight of this either. One thing that concerns me at times is how many churches use missions as a substitute for evangelism. I'm not saying don't do missions, 
but they see themselves as mission-minded church because they give to the cooperative program, yes, but they don't do anything else. Nothing else. Our mission-minded church, we gave X amount of dollars to the cooperative, yes, but how many people have your people told about Christ this year? How many people have you shared with Christ this year? And by the way, can I tell you, Calvary, beloved, we're doing good there. We're doing good. Several of you come to me often, tell me about how you have shared the faith with someone, how you have invited someone to church, how you've had a conversation with someone about truth, and and you have no idea how that uplifts my heart. Calvary, we're doing good in that area, and thank you so much. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? That is awesome. Keep, Keep going and do better. Keep going and let's do better. What if we did better? Let me, let me take you back to a text we looked at a while back. Matthew chapter five, verse 19. Let's just look at this for a moment. You're, you're gonna recognize this. Chapter Matthew 5, 19. Jesus says, but whoever then annuls or sets aside or disregards one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is speaking about the following, the commands of scriptures, and he says, whoever disregards even the least of one of these commandments, he's called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Let me appeal to your judgment for just a moment. Would you consider Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the least of Jesus's commandments toward the church? No, what do we call it? The great commission. And if Jesus says that you disregard the least of these commandments and teach others to do the same, you're the least in the kingdom of God, then how much more must that be true if we're disregarding the great commandment? If we're disregarding the greatest commission, if we're disregarding the the primary commandment, the marching orders that he left us with, How much more will we as a church be considered least in the kingdom of heaven if we disregard the greatest commandment that he's given? And so, beloved, do not disregard this command. Let's let's be intentional and let's be biblical. The ends do not justify the means. We must be biblical in our approach to evangelism. And so it doesn't mean we can't be creative in how we obey, but we must obey. We must not disregard this. And it's a tall task. Jesus said, teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. The term there is ethnos. It's the word we get ethnic from. Not just political nations, but every ethnic group around the world, every tongue, every tribe needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And is your vision smaller than that? Or is your vision as big as Christ's command is? I just can't help to wonder that. Is our vision, you say, you say, Randy, what can a little church in Batesville, Arkansas do? You'd, you'd be amazed. We can do a lot when we put our faith to it. And when we decide that we're going to be excellent in our obedience here. And so make disciples biblically, make disciples intentionally, and then finally make disciples dependently, dependently. Look at uh, the last verse. He says, 
And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Maybe some of your uh, translations say, behold, I am with you. Uh, if you're using the NIV or the Holman Christian Standard, actually not the NIV, but the uh, New Revised Standard Version. Oh, I get those confused, which is kind of weird. But if you're using one of those, I actually really like your translation because it says, and remember, I am with you always. And that's really the idea that Jesus is going for here. Remember this. Remember this. Don't forget, as you are carrying out the Great Commission, there's gonna be times when you're gonna be discouraged. There's gonna be times when disciples fall away and show their true colors. There's gonna be times that you're gonna be heartbroken. And in those times, remember. It's so important to remember that Christ is with us always. Even to the end of the age. Again, there's so much I wanna say here. Christ doesn't just command us and leave us. In fact, I regard this as one of the great I am statements of scripture. I know most people just say they're in John, but I think we have one right here. In fact, Matthew begins with saying that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And now it ends with Christ saying, behold, I am with you always. God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. He is, he is with us. We can go out intentionally and we, don't have to, and we don't have to disregard biblical instructions. We can go out biblically. Why? Because Christ is with us. And he is the one who goes out with us. In fact, look back in verse 18. I know some of you thought I skipped it, but here we go. Verse 18, look what he says. He, says, he begins all of this with saying, all authority has been given unto me. You know, some people think there's a, there's a conflict between God's sovereignty and evangelism. No, it's, no, there's not. No, there's not. His command for evangelism is based from his sovereignty. You got a pretty weird theology if you're using God's sovereignty to disobey him. It's pretty weird. He says, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, you remember what therefore is there, right? Therefore, Go and make disciples. His authority is a reference to his ascension. He's talking about that authority, that divine throne that he has taken and is now his of which he sits. Philippians chapter two, verse nine through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Christ is now the king who is able to open the scroll. He is the lion of Judah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He has all authority, all power, glory, wealth, wisdom, honor and blessing in heaven and on earth goes to him. And this is the one who has promised, I am with you. I am with you. This is the one who has given us the promise. And so we can go out in confidence, go out dependently to make disciples. Look at Paul's example in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. What does he mean by that? He says, on the contrary, watch this. 
I worked harder than any of them. There, there's effort on Paul's part. There's responsibility on Paul's part. There's evangelism on Paul's part, right? I worked harder than any of them. But then look what he says. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Paul went out and worked his fingers to the bone to bring people to Christ. And yet it was the grace of God that energized him. It was the grace of God that gave him both the will and the strength to do his will. He worked harder than any of them, and yet it was Christ working through him. Knowing that Christ is with us does not diminish our toil and labor for the gospel. It does not mean that we do not spin, but it does mean that Christ is what gives us the power. No amount of tricks, gimmicks, stagecraft, clever campaigns, slogans, advertisements, slick bylines, or any of those other things will ever change a heart. Only Christ can do that. The gospel is what has the power. And so we go in the power of another. This is spiritual warfare, and there is nothing in our lives that can take the place of his power working through us when we are in obedience to him. We go on the power of another. When Paul defends his ministry to the Corinthians, he didn't talk about what a great program he had or how much of a showman he was. But he says in 1 Corinthians 2, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? Verse five of chapter two, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's what we want people's faith to be. And that's why we must go out dependently. We must make disciples dependently. And so as we, as we look at this, if we're gonna be faithful to make disciples, beloved, we must be intentional, we must be biblical, and we must be dependent. We must be intentional, biblical, and dependent. And so I want, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. You're, as a church, we're doing well. We're doing well. This is not a, this is not a gotcha sermon. This is, I, I, you're doing good. Every, all the time, people are telling me. In fact, I had a 30-minute conversation with a gentleman on the phone last night uh, that one of the ladies in our church invited him to church. And, uh, and I got to talk to him about our church for 30 minutes last night. And so Beloved, Calvary, you're doing good. You're doing good. Amen? Amen. All the time, people, some of you are telling me to pray for someone you've shared your faith with. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so, but let's do better. Let's do more. I wanna help you understand your role in the mission and the ministry of the church not just Calvary, but the church universal, what our mission is. We are to make disciples of all nations. And I pray that we'll begin this week, each and every one of us. I pray that we'll begin. How can you do that? Let let me just end with a few suggestions here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse nine, says that man plans his ways, but the Lord guides his step. Here's, Here's the first suggestion I would make is make a goal, make a plan. This goes to the intentionality of it. You know, in today's culture and even in the church, we tend to value spontaneity. You know, we tend to kind of value that, 
you know, if the Spirit says, go right here and we go right now, you know, we tend to kind of value that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you go into the high points of church history, like the Puritans, like the Reformation, the, the church fathers, uh, one thing they all had in common was that they valued planning. They actually valued intentionality. They valued setting goals and meeting them. For instance, Jonathan Edwards, his famous resolutions, and he lived his life by them. Uh, what an amazing, amazing man of God. And so make a plan for how you're gonna share the gospel with someone this month, and then next month, and then the month after that. Think about it. it think about it. By the end of this year, our church could have shared the gospel with 720 people in Independence County. You say, what if there's only 30 of us? Okay, then 300 and something. What if, what if only 40 of us did it? What if only 15 of us did it? Still, that's, that's so much more than last year. You say, Randy, well, not all of them are gonna come to Christ. How do you know that? I don't know that. Do you know that? I don't know that. But I'll tell you how many people will come, you'll see come to Christ if you don't share. That I do know. That's zero. Do you really want to, to go through another year without seeing someone come to Christ in your own life? Think about it. Every one of us, 60 some people, share the gospel with one person per month this year, 12 people, one per month. By the end of this year, 720 people will have heard the gospel from Calvary Baptist Church. That's the mission, amen? And so make a goal. And trust the Lord for the results. Number two, pray for sharing your faith. What if you woke up every morning praying for God to give you opportunities to share your faith? Do you think God would answer that request maybe just every now and then? Don't you, don't you think he would? Don't you think he'd be honored by that request? In fact, you know what? I think a lot of times, I think what'll happen is that he'll open your eyes to the opportunities he already gives you. Prayer works like a radio antenna. You got all these signals going everywhere. Prayer raises your alertness for the opportunities you have in front of you. And so what if you woke up every morning praying for God to give you someone? Pray for one another every day. Prayer is going to set your radar. And so, and number three, here's a, here's a final suggestion of many more I can give you, but I just wanted to start off easy. Partner with somebody. Partner with someone. Uh, you know, again, you may be thinking, man, I've, I've set out to do something like this a hundred times before. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you do it alone? Did you do it alone? My guess is you probably did. I know I have, and I failed every time. But what if you and someone else in your small group or you and someone else in your Sunday school or you and a, and a, and a, and a dear friend in the church um, what if you each prayed for one another and asked one another every week, did you share the faith with someone this week? Did you share the gospel with someone? How are you doing? Are you remembering to pray every day? Uh, I just heard this morning, uh, two of our ladies that came to me and asked me for a new Bible reading plan because this year they finished last year's Bible reading plan and now they're looking for a new one. And, uh, and what they did, they read through it together and they, and they encouraged one another and they made it all the way through the Bible this year. Isn't that awesome? 
What if we did that for evangelism? It worked for them for reading the Bible. What if we did that for evangelism? Iron sharpens iron. Proverbs 27, 17. There is strength in numbers, but there's also hope in numbers. None of us can do this alone. But together, we are unstoppable. We are only limited. I have another conclusion here, but I'm gonna drop that. Let me just leave you with this. When we endeavor and when we set out to do God's will, we are only limited by the power of God. Do you realize how much power we have available to us as a church? Let's plug into it. Let's do his will. Let's reach people. Let's share the gospel. Let's make disciples. I'm tired of the same old, same old, aren't you? I'm ready to see something different. And we can do it. You're already doing it. Let's do more. Excel still more this year. More people get involved. Just imagine what can happen to one of God's churches who set their mind to do God's will this year. Just imagine what can happen. Let's do this. We got it. Let's do this. Father, we thank you for this time together in the word. Thank you for this commission that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that we will take seriously this challenge. And I don't know, maybe it's not one every month. Maybe it's one person every two months or whatever, Lord. But we know that you would have us share our faith. We don't have to pray about that. And so, Lord, what we do pray for is the power to do it. What we do pray for is the will. We do pray for the surrender. And we pray with all of our might, Lord, that we would be faithful to your gospel this year and we would preach the gospel with all of our might, spend and be spent so that people can know the saving truth of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know that truth. I would encourage you to come and know it for yourself. You can be saved this morning by placing your hope and faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And I would love to explain to you what that means so it can be a reality in your life. If you have that need, I invite you to come. If you have a need this morning that you want prayer for, you're welcome to come. Maybe you've received the word, but you need to confess your faith and baptism. Please come and set that up. Um, maybe you need to pray. Maybe you wanna make a public commitment and I'm gonna share my faith this year and I'm gonna enlist someone to help me uh, and then find something. Maybe you need to go to someone else this morning and say, let's do this. We can do this. Let's do it together. Whatever it is, I invite you to move as the Lord would lead you. Let's stand together and um, let's, uh, let's sing our song together. Open my eyes that I may see. If you have a need, you come.